Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a comedian you've heard on the Bob and Tom Show. He has an ongoing feud with that damn Randy, and if you're lucky, he might have a boat for sale. 25 comedy albums later, we welcome Donnie Baker. How you doing, man? It's good to be on your airwaves. Let's go beyond the mic. Donnie, you've turned across the United States. Where was the best and worst places you've ever visited? Man, the best and worst places, I think we can all agree, that's on top of the Mecca, Pigeon Forge. I mean, I've basically, you know, traveled from Dollywood to Hollywood, and I've never been no place other than Pigeon Forge where you can get batting cages, hermit crabs, and, and tattoos all in the same shop. Not to mention bumper cars. So try to top that, Vegas. Due to the pandemic, were you limited to just one pork pistol due to social distancing? No, man, my band, see, a lot of rumors going around about us, and I hate to be the barrel of bad news, but our band's like in a hiatus right now. We started off as Dark Knuckle, then we was Hood Snot, and then um, then the Mucus Plague. You see, we're done with Christian Rock. What we're doing with the pork pistols now is way different, but, you know, Scotty Winkler, my lead guitar player, we almost lost him, you know, because he was trying to lose weight by having paint in her. So now he's on a bench. <laughs> How hard is it to travel around the country always towing a boat? It is hard. The worst part's drive-throughs. I swear to God, you know, they forget your dipping sauce. I'll right, take that boat all the way back around again. But it gives a good uh, visible balance. You know, it, it is a boat that is for sale. So I'll get a lot of stairs. If you could do anything to Randy, what would you do? Put bird feet on his bug zapper because I hate birds and I hate Randy. <laughs> I swear to God, I got more respect for his name tag because at least it's got three inches. I'll say it right to his face. Donnie, what's the first thing you do when you get into town for a show? Man, I'm like most people, you know, I'm basically like a free-range whiff. I'm always keeping my head on a swivel, beating rabies and making babies. But I like to size up the women in town, you know, especially if she's fire-ass hot. There's always a chance I might have to, you know, procreate and put a baby in her if we lock eyes. Hell, Angel Skinner's. I ain't seen her in forever. The last time I seen her is in an oldie food mart. She had a baby on each hip, had two in the cart. I think she had one in the oven. She had more babies than an unemployed possum. But like I said, I'm a baker. We don't die. We just multiply. It's in my blood. Some guys like to know, where is the best place that you like to find women? Best place to find women? Um, like I said, man, I've had a lot of good luck lately on Christian Mangle. You know, although I switched over to Farmers Only and met Trailer Trash Tammy because she was just looking to get plowed. <laughs> so I guess it depends on what your membership rates are. Now we can get serious. The genius behind Donnie Baker, Kenny Tarmac, and Floyd the Trucker, Ron Sexton, joins us beyond the mic. Ron, who are the comedians you idolized growing up? Oh, man, I had um, a great appreciation for uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, and, you know, not only at the time was he a movie star, um, I think Delirious came out right when I uh, really started taking interest in comedy. Sam Kinison. And then Tommy Davidson's another one that um, I, I saw. He had a special in Philadelphia in 1991 where um, he was able not only to do impressions, but to do impressions while singing. I was just blown away. So I was always able to kind of do a few voices um, and being an only child. That's kind of how I entertained myself for a, a while. But I would say those three were probably the most influential on me. So did you give your imaginary friends certain styles or characteristics that just made you laugh? 
Well, I, I, I had uh, relatives. My grandmother lived in Salina, Tennessee, so I had uh, relatives that lived in the South. I was uh, born and raised in Indianapolis, so it was fun for me to go to my grandmother's and visit relatives and hear that thick Southern accent. And that's kind of where Floyd came from. I, uh, I had a, a radio station in high school. So I, at a very early age, 14, 15 years old, was able to kind of uh, get creative on the radio, um, having no idea that I would one day do stand-up. I always thought I would be a straight-laced sportscaster or just jockey and, and you know, thought that I would always be in broadcasting, which I am, but I think now I, it's more uh, comedy is what pays the bills. And I'm thankful for that. It's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of scary, as you well know, in radio, so many things in radio and in life, computers are able to simulate. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, they don't find a way to, to write jokes or write comedy or perform comedy. Um, because to me, that's, you know, it's, it's the one thing that is still most satisfying, uh, having a new joke and, and just that anticipation or, uh, excitement of knowing, man, this is going to hit, or I can't wait to do this on stage and some stuff that works better on Bob and Tom, um, you know, that may not work as well in front of a live audience. So for me, I kind of get two different brands to work toward. You've done radio, TV, sports, music. Why were you attracted to these so similar, but different things? Did each of these hit a different part of your own personality? Well, I grew up a Reds fan, so I love baseball. And I think uh, listening to the Reds on radio, Marty Brenneman and Joe Nutsall, uh was a great introduction to all broadcasting. It's, you know, that's probably, I think for most anybody in broadcasting to have to fill the time in between pitches uh, and baseball is hard because there's so much downtime. But I um, had an early appreciation for or anyone that could do play-by-play on the radio. And that station uh, in Cincinnati, the big one, 700 WLW, which was a clear channel station, was kind of a full-service station. So inevitably, after the Reds or before the Reds, I really got a great introduction to what old-time radio used to be with you know news and sports and weather. And then Gary Burbank, who was a legend that was on in the afternoons, did uh, a lot of different character voices. Um, and so I think it was probably uh, baseball that led me into my current you know, baseball was kind of uh, a, a precursor of what I do now. And, and I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but it was a pretty good uh, introduction to what I think were my, my heart and my true aspirations were. The man behind Donnie Baker, Ron Sexton joins us beyond the mic. Ron, since you are such a fan of play by play, who is the best and worst baseball play by play announcers? Best and worst baseball play by play. Well, I think nobody can top Vin slowly. Uh, and, and many said, yeah, when you watch, you know, there was a time when the Dodgers, they wouldn't even, even though they were on television, they didn't even bother trying to put a guy in the booth. They would just use Vin's play-by-play from radio and it worked for both. I mean, he was poetic. Uh, and, and it was almost as if he knew what was going to happen. So many broadcasters try to tell a story and inevitably, you know, a triple play happens and, ah, we'll have to finish that after the inning. And uh, next thing you know, you know, they come back and it kind of loses its, its, I don't know, loses its pacing and its, um, and sometimes its purpose. But Ben just had a magic wand when it came to uh, weaving his stories along with the play-by-play. So he, I think, uh, most would agree, was the absolute best. In terms of the worst uh, in broadcasting, nobody really comes to mind. There are some that uh, I'm sure that there have been moments in my life where I've cursed at the radio um, and, and gotten angry because somebody's done a poor job. Probably too many <laughs> to count. Uh, but in, in terms of somebody being the absolute worst, nobody comes to mind, to be honest. You've been a high school baseball coach, and you love baseball. What's the one thing that is missing in Major League Baseball right now? Oh, I think the the one thing that's missing in Major League Baseball is uh, 
teams aren't really trying to win. They're trying to make money. It's um, sad. Each player is almost his own franchise. And um, to me, it's sad that if, if you truly cared about winning and, and winning the game, <laughs> you would have a two-strike approach. If you truly cared about winning, strikeouts wouldn't be at such an alarming rate. And I think guys would be um, much better at the plate and trying to put the ball in play. At no point in history has the ball been put in play less than it has the last 10 years. And to me, that makes for a very boring product to watch. Everybody loves home runs, but you know you can win games with base hits too. I think Pete Rose has said it very well that it's it's just sad that I think there's there's been a lack of focus on winning and trying to win, and it's been more okay. So what's my walk-up music going to be, and how can I uh, how can I manipulate the numbers to help myself in arbitration? And I think each guy's kind of out for their own little agenda as opposed to trying to win a baseball game. Sadly, so now speaking of college sports, has NIL changed the same way for college sports one now individuals have to look out what's best for them and their sponsors rather than what's best for the team yeah i I think we're seeing that Uh, absolutely and and i'm not saying that i'm against college kids getting um better compensation i mean it's sad that you know the ncaa's made billions over the years of these kids and and a good many of them you know like the the old chris weber story that he couldn't even afford to buy the jersey that was for sale in a footlocker when he was part of the fab five um so I think it might, I, the one thing that is poisoned pro sports for me across the board has been replay. Uh, to me, as a fan, uh, it's disingenuous that you almost have to wait to cheer. And, if you, and I'll give you an example. In the NFL, they throw a touchdown pass. Pretty much any scoring play is under review. So you cheer, but now everybody's gun shy because for fear that it's going to be overturned. And I just think replay has been the absolute uh, nail in the coffin for pretty much the big sports as it relates to my interest in it. I, I never thought I would say this. Um, and I always said, man, I'll, I'll never watch golf or never play golf. I watch more golf than anything else. Um, I, like I said, I was uh, a Reds fan from life, named my oldest son after Eric Davis. And I mean, thought, man, I'm going to follow the Reds forever. And I really, uh, when I got my world series in 1990, I was content. And I, it's just been uh, less and less and less ever since. But when replay hit, um, I really uh, just don't watch the games. Don't have much of an interest in it. Even the world series. I used to, I used to think the best thing in the world was the World Series and then um, second best was spring training. And I live in Dunedin, Florida, where we have the Blue Jays. And, and five miles from us, we have the Phillies. And it's really what brought me to Florida was baseball and, and being a fan and, and uh, just thinking that was the best thing ever. And I haven't been to a spring training game in probably four years. How has quarantine changed the way you create comedy? And how has it refined the way that you write jokes? Well, I, I tried to kind of view it through Donnie's eyes. Uh, how Donnie Baker would do it. And, and so certainly Donnie's been resistant and I, I have a chunk in my set where I talk about, you know, I'll never wear a mask. You'll never see me looking like Josie Wales, Hannibal Lecture or one of Michael Jackson's kids ever, you know? So, um, I, I just try to relate to maybe how, um, others are feeling about it or how others view it. And, and I am perplexed why, you know, you have to wear a mask until you sit down. I mean, I, there's so much of this that just makes zero sense to me. And so a lot of times I, I'll vent as Ron through Donnie, uh, but I certainly think that we've been played. Um, and, and I just, uh, it's sad to me that we're getting medical advice from political figures and I, uh, it's scary, some of the stuff that we're seeing. So I just try to vent on stage and I think everybody has an opinion about it. It, it is the worst part for me. They always say in comedy, they don't pay you to do comedy, they pay you to travel, which is true. So, you know, the airports, it's always a, a bummer getting on and having to wear a mask. And then when you have the, the mask police that come around, if you're not wearing the mask completely, 
Right. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, as soon as you're, you know, stepping outside to get your luggage or whatever, then the masks are off. And it's like, people not understand that we're sick. I mean, germs can still, you know, uh, we still have viruses and germs can still travel. I, I don't get, you know, like I said, and I don't think the masks stop anything. But for me, that's been the biggest headache is the, the travel aspect of it. As your characters have grown in popularity, how hard is it to keep them fresh? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I struggle with that. So, and I have to remember that each day on the radio, somebody might be listening for the first time. And Tom's been a great reminder in that regard. But it is hard. I mean, I think there, there are probably mornings where Larry the Cable Guy would rather puke than say get her done. Uh, and so I think that you just have to remember that, um, you know, when people see Skinner, they want to hear Freebird, and and you'd better play Freebird, and and the fans deserve that, you know. And uh, for me, I just try to, you know, try to stay current. But Donnie, it's 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 even if I work in a couple little jokes, that will usually open a portal to maybe a new fifteen or twenty minute chunk, you know, over time. So um, just trying to, uh, I try to if, if I'm angry or have an extreme an emotion. Um, those are usually moments where my brain works and I'll find some humor in something. If I'm very upset or if I'm uh, really happy or uh, really angry, usually I'll, I'll find a joke in there somewhere that'll fit one of my characters. So uh, for me, it's just trying to pay attention. And, um, and and sometimes I'll write a joke around a keyword or something that sounds funny and other times it's a concept. So it, 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 to me, it's just trying to kind of pay attention and people watch and um, and then Make sure I have, you know, it used to be a notepad, but now my phone nearby so I can save it. Uh, the hardest part for me is trying to remember everything I've written. But uh, yeah, it, it is challenging. That's the, the hardest part is just trying to get that, that taste out of your mouth that just because I'm bored with it doesn't mean that others aren't ready to hear it or don't want to hear it. So I, I kind of have to fight myself in that regard. Is there one thing you miss from your time back in the old college days at Butler? Uh, you know, I didn't really enjoy college. I, I, uh, I went to Butler University, but had a head start, as I mentioned, in high school because we had a radio station. So I didn't learn anything. I, I basically got my radio education in high school. And then when I went to Butler, I was so bored with kind of repeating the process of learning radio that I got uh, jobs at, at radio stations. And I kind of learned a lot by how not to do radio, <laughs> by a few small radio jobs early on. Uh, but that, that education was also valuable. I think that um, I was at Butler right when the basketball program started to turn around. They had hired a coach, uh, Barry Collier, who was now the athletic director there. Um, but Barry was really the coach that kind of got Butler in the top 25 for the first time in years. The program had, had really gone downhill. And then, as we know, I mean, it went from Barry Collier to you name the coaches. There's been a list of coaches that were all successful. It was, you know, they kept leapfrogging one another. And, and then Brad Stevens got there and, and they go back to back, you know, uh, NCAA final fours and, and really put Butler on the map is uh, uh, the little the little giant in, in Indianapolis, you know, that somehow uh, emerged despite having IU and Purdue and, and Notre Dame in the same state that usually sold the headlines. So I think it was kind of cool to be there seeing um, the birth of that. And, and I graduated in 93. And like I said, I think they were in the top 25 the last two years that I was in school. The comedian behind Donnie Baker, Ron Sexton, joins us beyond the mic. Ron, it's time for the Rocky Nade. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. Fire away. What's the one state law you wish you could make? One state law I wish I could make. No replay in pro sports. Double state law. Do you like to fly or drive more? Uh, wow. Man, if I'm flying, I'd rather be driving and vice versa. I mean, so it, it depends. On, I mean, it is truly 
that is one that uh, I, I drove all the way from Florida to Memphis, and I got to Alabama, and I thought, oh, my God, put me on a plane. This is killing me, the traffic jam. And, and then as soon as I get on a plane, and I'm told to wear a mask. I'm like, get me back in my truck. So that's, that's a break-even right there. That's a, that's a great one. Now, for both you and Donnie, what's the first album you ever owned, and do you still have it? I'm looking right at it, uh, and it's funny. i just gotten into the vinyl thing, and the first album I ever owned was the Bee Gees Greatest Hits. And I had a friend of mine that found it. Uh, I've gone to several records. Yeah, I've gone to several record stores. It's very hard to find. It's one that it's a trifold. It opens up and it has uh, the the pictures of the Bee Gees, kind of their headshots. Man, it's tough to find, but we found it online and it was was awesome. I also had, uh, when I would kind of do pretend DJ stuff, was a KTEL record um, that was great because it, you know, it had a variety of songs on it. So you could almost mimic like what a real, playlist would be like for a radio station so when i was i don't know probably 12 or 13 and was playing dj in my bedroom it was a, a ktel record that had juice newton queen of hearts uh greg ken band and i forget there were a couple other songs on there uh, uh don't go breaking my stride i forget who sang that one matthew something anyway um those were probably the first the bg's greatest hits was the first record i ever owned um and that ktel record was uh, special to me because that allowed me to kind of escape and, and play a uh, DJ on the fly when I was a kid. But Donnie's record, my first Donnie Baker probably would have been uh, Ronnie James Diaz or Dawkins. Matthew Wilder, Break My Stride. Great song. Matthew Wilder, there you go. Yes. Nailed it. If you weren't a comedian, you would have been a... I think I would have been a teacher and coach. Uh, that's why I chased that. I, I no longer coach high school baseball. I did great years of Dunning High School and I really loved it. And that was... Uh, Truly another passion that kind of stemmed from covering pro sports and, and getting to interview Bob Knight and getting to interview some of the greatest minds in sports and wondering how they were so successful with the same talent or sometimes lesser talent than others in their league or divisions. And uh, I learned a lot. I think Bob Knight is the greatest coach to coach any sport uh, any time in history, uh, that, that he got more out of his, his teams than anybody. And I know that he's a polarizing figure or was. Um, but I just felt like, uh, he really mastered the art of coaching. I learned so much from watching him speak, uh, and studied him on YouTube and studied, you know, how he would break down drills and, and why they would do certain things and his, uh, constant preaching and stressing the importance of concentration. I, I just, I think is one of the most underrated things in sports. If you can get kids to concentrate and teams to concentrate, you've really got something, uh, that's going to be successful. Now, if Donnie somehow some way was able to discover a new species, what would he name it? If I discover a new species, I probably the Wiffinator. Like half wolf, half piranha. <laughs> and it's going to, you can't escape it, even in pebbles or deep water. Have you ever been on a pirate pub crawl? I never have been on a pirate pub crawl. No, I haven't. I've, uh, I've never even been on a pub crawl. I have been on a pirate ship at Clearwater, Florida, one of those tourist trap things, but that's as close as I've, I've come to a pirate pub crawl because they sold beer on the, on the ship. <laughs> I saw that you had that in your hometown. I had to ask. I have not. For both you and Donnie, if you could put together a concert with three bands, who would open, who would be the middle act, and who would be the headliner? Wow. Well, Elvis would be the headliner. I mean, we, we all know that. I think I would have Skinner to go second. And uh, to open up live show, I mean, um, I would have to go with the Red Hot Chili Peppers just to, to kind of be the keynote band of, uh, of the concert. So they're one of my favorites. Incredible, incredible live uh, performances, you know, and, and especially with even at their ages now, what they're in their 50s or maybe even 60, but how they hop around. And yeah, they're like, they're all like human Red Bulls. Yeah. So 
I think Chili Peppers, Leonard Skinner, and Elvis Presley. Uh, for me, it'd probably be Black Snakes, followed up by David Coverdale's solo efforts, and maybe end with, uh, um, probably have to end with a uh, Black Snake reunion tour. What's the one thing you do that makes your mom smile? One thing that I do that makes my mom smile? Man, that is a great question. Uh, I would probably say um, calling her every day. So I call my folks every day. They still live in Indiana. And uh, so I, I make it a point every day to call my folks. And so I think that, that I would hope that that makes her smile. So um, I think just letting her know that her boy's uh, doing well here in the Sunshine State and, and just keeping you know keeping uh, in touch. And I think there was a fear that when we moved here that there would be a distance of some kind. And that's not, that's not Wayne. I, I, you know, there were times when I lived in Indiana, I wouldn't talk to him for five or six days. But since I moved, I think we've, we're closer, even though we're a thousand, thousand miles apart. It's time for one big question with Donnie Baker beyond the mic. Donnie, when people come to a Donnie Baker show, what should they expect to see? They're going to see basically organized rage. I swear to God, I'm going to say a lot of things and some things I'm going to say in cursive to them. But like I said, you can either pay for a college education or you can come see Donnie Baker and get your master's. <laughs> He's never been on a pub crawl, would have been a coach. His first album was the Bee Gees and calls his mom every day. We thank comedian Ron Sexton and Donnie Baker for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.